morning. I'd invite you to open your scriptures. Uh, we're in Luke 19 this morning, the triumphal entry. Those of you who are live streaming, we're uh, thankful to have you worshiping with us this morning, and we hope the word comes alive to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 19, and we'll start around verse 28. So all four Gospels really are, are, in one sense, they're kind of a race to get to the cross. And now we're approaching Passion Week, the week before Jesus' death, and what you see is things begin to slow down. And remember, Jesus was a Jew. No surprises there, but he lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, so every year, his whole life, he and his family, they would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover, because that's what you did if you lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem. Now, think back with me. John 1, Christ's public ministry begins. The Spirit descends upon Jesus, and John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, every year, that lamb would have gone to Passover in Jerusalem with probably around 270,000 other lambs coming in the city to be sacrificed for the sins of God's people. And yet he never says anything about who he is in that sense. He never announces he's the Messiah. Finally, here we are in Luke 19. After three years of public ministry, he enters Jerusalem in a very different way than he's ever entered Jerusalem before, as a king riding on a colt, and with his other 270,000 lambs as the Lamb of God to be slaughtered for his people's sin. So if you would, look at verse 28, Luke 19. I'm going to read down to around verse 40. And when he had said these things, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Pray with me, please. Oh, Lord, to behold your glory and your majesty, 
is to worship. There's only one response from our hearts. And if we don't do it, Jesus says, creation will. Father, and I pray today, I pray that we would see the greatness of Jesus, uh, that the, our eyes would be, eyes of our heart, that is, would be filled with a greater knowledge, like Paul prays, of who he is and what he's done for us, oh God. And we would go deeper into the greatness of our Savior, Father, the plans of eternity that you've had for us. See it and behold it, and the response would be worship and praise throughout our week. Lord, let your spirit work mightily in our hearts and minds now. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was my, uh, my fifth year of graduate school and seminary, and I know that's a long time, but those who are slow and a bit delayed, it takes us a while. And um, I, I, was, I was tired. I don't know if you've been at school for a while, and you, you're just, you just get very, very tired. I was tired of hearing sermons by students, and they would say silly things like throwing their Bible down and standing on it and saying, brothers, you've got to stand on the word. Give me a break. Hopefully I'll never do that here. I was tired of deep theological discussions that really went nowhere. I was tired of living in another man's basement with my wife and having people come in our room late at night and say, oh, sorry, wrong room. I was tired of staying in decks all day and studying theology all night. And one day I was walking across campus and Dr. Bob Smart, who's coming to do the parenting conference with Karen, he saw me and I thought, how can I look really deep and spiritual to this man? How can I put on my A game for him? And he came up to me, he didn't say anything, he just looked me up and down and he said this, he said, Rusty, does your heart ever feel like if it does not cry out to worship Christ, the rocks around you will? And I wanted to say, no, that's not where I am. I'm just tired. He cut me like a dagger with the word. And of course, he was quoting from Luke 19, right? And he, he was asking me this, look, all your spiritual learning, all the sermons you here, which is much like us, how's your heart to worship the king? How is it? And Bob was saying, look, I, I know you're learning all this good stuff. How's your relationship with Jesus, Rusty? To what extent do you live in light of the sacrifice that he's made of you? How does that impact you? Are you worshiping? Luke 19, King Jesus is entering this city as the Passover lamb, really for the first time, the city is full and many come and they praise him as the Messiah. They think he's coming to be the king, to claim he's the king. And the Pharisees say, when they see the praise as the king, as the Messiah, they say, aren't you going to rebuke them? And Jesus says, if they were silent, the rocks would cry out. Now, in my mind, this is one of the greatest events in Scripture that's taken place. It's prophesied all the way back to Zechariah that the king would enter the city riding on a colt. But this king is doing something more amazing than they could imagine. He's showing the world the love and the justice of God. He's entering the city as the lamb eternally predestined to carry and absolve your sins. That's how he's entering the city. 
And Jesus is saying, praise to God is the only response for what God is doing here. And if people don't do it, creation will. God will be praised. <laughs> so here's our question today. It's the main, main idea, but it's really a question. Why does the triumphal entry demand worship? Why, why did he say that in such a unique way that what's going on here demands worship and people want creation will? Let's start at verse 28, 28 to 31. And the first thing is this. The Lamb of God enters the Passover feast. Look there in your Bibles. I'm just going to read 28. And when they had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. No, I'm going to read 29. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples. Stop there. He's coming from Jericho, which means, you, you probably know the story, he's just raised Lazarus from the dead, right? He's going to Jerusalem for the Passover, and there's a crowd with him that's coming. They've seen, and John 12 tells us this, they've seen, they know what's happening here. Now, at, at the Passover, there'd be about 3 million Jews coming into the city. So it's not Jesus and his two buddies, right? There's about 3 million of them coming into the city. They're camping all around the city, and they've come with their families. A lot of times, they've got their lamb with them. They've got the one pure lamb that they've been saving, the undefiled one, the best of their flock that they're going to sacrifice for the sins of their family. It's a time to rejoice that God's grace and forgiveness is for them. They know they're sinners, and they know God forgives them through a sacrifice. Now, Bethany, the city where Jesus had raised Lazarus, is just on the other side of all this, on the other side of the Mount of Olives, very close. And so certainly word is spreading. Who can raise the dead but the Messiah, the one that's expected to come and be the king? And so as the crowds approach, the Jews, let me just stop, pause this. Here's the picture. Crowds would come into the city, and as they would come in, Jews would come out of the city gates, and they would be singing like Caleb was saying, the Hallel Psalms, which is Psalm 113 to 118. So much singing taking place as they enter, all this praising and in the midst of that, the Lamb of God enters as the King of Peace. So as coming over the mountain, Jesus says this, Go into the village opposite you where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And when you hear that, you say, that's unusual. <laughs> Why a colt? Well, in Israel, kings rode two animals. They rode horses and they rode donkeys. Horses were rare and they were used in times of battle. So when you saw a king on a horse, you saw battles happening. Donkeys were the everyday use and they signified peace. Now let me back you up to Zechariah 9.9, the prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O Jerusalem. Shout, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you get it? Put it together. Kings rode donkeys in times of peace. 
Zechariah prophesies the Messiah, the king that you're expecting to come. He's going to enter Jerusalem, not just on a donkey, but on a colt as the king of peace, bringing peace. And so the king is entering to make peace with the rebellious people by his own blood, by his own sacrifice as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, that's how he came into the city. But when Christ comes again, he'll come as a different sort of king. There's more to it. Remember, Jewish kings rode horses to war and donkeys to signify peace. Jesus first rode into the city on a donkey to die for our sins. God's peace offering with a multitude of disciples following him and a multitude coming out of the city to meet him. But what about when he comes again? What's he going to be riding? What's he bringing? Let me read to you Revelation 19.11, and I hope you can put together these pieces. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And on his head were many crowns, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on a white horse. And on his robe is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Christ enters the city really twice. The first time as the peace offering, as the Lamb of God, the King coming to die for the sins of God's people. The second time he enters it, and when he comes again, he will ride a war stag, you might say, a war horse coming to bring judgment and redemption. And I would say to you, it's the same picture. So when he comes the first time, he's got people with him. They're coming from the Mount of Olives. People come out of the city singing and praising him, and then they enter back into the city. When he comes the second time, he's coming riding a great white stag. He's got his saints with him, and they come. People will come. The dead will rise. They will come to meet him in the air and praise and worship, maybe sing the Hallel song. And then we will come back to earth, and he will judge all things as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And this is the first picture of that. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. And on the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in prison chamber and give him assistance and comfort. And Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life, because he knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord to meet his needs. Because he had received the king of peace, he knew he would never face the king of judgment. My friends, when Christ entered Jerusalem on a donkey, what was he triumphing over? Well, over God's judgment and over his punishment for our sin, over the power of darkness in my own heart and life, over the shame and distance between God and us. How? 
because he is entering as a king in the Passover feast to give his life as the lamb offering, to be a guilt sacrifice for his people, to be a substitute, to make peace between God and man. So two times after the triumphal entry, after this event, Jesus talks about this. John 14, 27. Peace now I leave with you. Peace now I give to you. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that you may have peace. In Christ, by faith, your relationship with the Father is no longer one of wrath or punishment or distance or silence. It's one of peace, not because you met his terms of peace and you've you've lived up to some moral level that now you know you have peace with him, but because he met his terms of peace. His terms were met in full by his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And those terms he gives to us in the gospel, we are to receive them and believe. In other words, The gospel is God's terms of peace to the world. It is the king's action and painful sacrifice for mankind, where he viewed his son as our Passover lamb, whose once for all sacrifice is sufficient for the salvation and the restoration and the peace of all who come to him with faith and repentance. Truly, it is finished. How do, we, how do we think and live this? Okay, Rusty, I understand what you're saying. Apply that to my heart a little bit more. When Christ entered the king to bring peace, or entered the city, the king to bring peace to a rebellious world, God's glory of grace, mercy, kindness, compassion were so on display that worship and praise must occur. And that's the reason Jesus says, if they keep silent, creation, the very stones, will worship me. Why? Because there is only one response to encountering God's glory, worship. This is what we see in all creatures in heaven. It's what they're doing. And this is actually what we see non-believers will do when they also face his glory, Philippians 2. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so when God enters as king to make peace for his people, the lamb sacrifice, worship and praise happens. Now, my friends, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ has entered the gates of your life and your heart as the king of peace. But the king, the lamb sacrifice for your sins And there is only one response in all of life, and that's worship. Let me say a few things. What does that look like? First, you were made to worship. (laughs) You're made to worship. Humans by nature nature are worshipers. You're a worshiper by nature. It's how God's designed you, right? It's the very core of how he made you. And it's, it's not that some people worship God and some people worship nothing. Some are worshipers and some are not. All people are going to worship something by design. G.K. Chesterton says it like this. When a man ceases to worship God, he does not worship nothing. He worships anything. And I would add, worshiping anything less than God leaves us empty. 
Your Christian faith needs worship. We live by faith, and faith lives by exercise. You might say it grows by exercise. And the greatest exercise of your faith is worship. Worship is exercising your faith. It is responding to God. And I want to encourage you, all of life is worship. It's not just what you do on Sunday mornings or your family devotionals. All of your life as a believer is responding to the goodness and the greatness of God. Are you saying that when I'm an accountant and I'm doing my accounting work knee deep in papers, that that's worship? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When you're responding to God and how you do anything, that is worship. As his people, all of life is worship. And therefore, we are to respond to the Savior in everything that we do in worship. Second, I want to just hang on, hang on. You might be thinking, okay, are you saying, Rusty, I need to be filling out my taxes and then having my hand in the air at the same time at all times? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Let me just clarify. It's how you do it. It's how you play soccer. If you're a 15-year-old girl that plays in the soccer field, it's how you parent, it's how you cook dinner, it's how you wash dishes, it's how you do taxes. It's how you do things that responds, that reveals the glory of God, that makes it worshipful and adoring to the Lord. Okay, let me move on. Second, worship in the face of rebuke. Luke 19, 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees came to investigate. Was Jesus really entering the city as a king? Was he really on a donkey? Was he really fulfilling the prophecy and being worshipped? And notice their response to worship. They rebuked them. There's a battle going on in your hearts. Is Christ going to be worshipped? If Christ has entered you as a believer, you experience that same battle, don't you? The Spirit calls you to worship. And our flesh, the enemy, is always saying, no, don't go to worship on Sunday. You've got too much work to do. You just need a break. Or in the morning, don't get up early. Spend time in worship. You need to sleep. Or in the evening, you're so tired, you've worked so hard, just come in and turn on the TV. Always be in your phone. Stop worshiping. And if you listen, eventually we become a spiritual gourd, white on the outside, hollow and dead on the inside. And so you have to say no to those rebukes that you're going to hear and fight to worship. And in worship, sin is destroyed and joy and life comes to you. Fight to worship. Third, how? John 12, worship with words of truth. That's the third. John 12, 13. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. What are they doing? They're quoting Psalm 118 from a group of psalms called the Hallel Psalms, which are meant to be sung in the Passover. And often when we think about praise, we say, say things like, thank you, God, for my car. Thank you for my house. 
Thank you for my wife and husband, my life, my job, family. Amen. And so we're great at praying worldly blessings, which is not bad. But what about praising God for who he is? That's what we see happening here. And that's what we see happening in eternity. Let me read you Revelation 4.8. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The 24 elders in heaven, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. What should your worship like look like? Yes, thank him for what he's done for you. But then go to the word, read it, praise him for who he is, the king of priests, the lamb of God. That's what we see going on in eternity. It's God-centered praise and worship. Last is this. Worship with action. Worship with action. Luke 19, 36. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. John 12, 13. They took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna. When the king entered the city, the custom was show your joy, show your love for him by spreading your clothes on the ground, by taking palm branches and putting them out for the king to walk on. Why did they do these things? Because mere words can't fully show or express their love for the king. Action must accompany them. Most of us view worship as just words to God on Sunday or in your devotional. But for a Christian, all of your life is worship. Every action is a response to what he's done for you. And so, worship the Savior this week and throughout with action, with all of your life, with everything that you do as a response to his goodness and who he is. The King of Peace who's entered our life. Father, I just praise you. Lord, we want to be a people of worship. I love the image here, singing the Hallel Psalms, coming out to meet Jesus, as he, and then worshiping him with word and with action, all that they have, all that their heart is. Lord, we want to be a people that worship, and that's how our lives are transformed. And I ask, Lord, that your spirit would move us through the holy word to worship, not just on Sunday mornings, Father, but we could say no to the rebuke of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and worship you throughout the week. We could worship you in how we do everything that we do, all of our lives as a response. Oh, God, and when we do that, suddenly we find there is a new joy and there is a new closeness as we are walking so close to the fountain of joy himself, our Savior. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.